Welcome to Let's Hear It. Let's Hear It is a podcast for and about the field of foundation and nonprofit communications, produced by its two co-hosts, Eric Brown and Kirk Brown. No relation. Well said, Eric. And I'm Kirk. And I'm Eric. The podcast is sponsored by the Communications Network and the Lumina Foundation. We're talking to people about their work and what's happening in the field with the hopes of making this growing arena just a little bit more accessible to us all. You can find Let's Hear It on any podcast subscription platform. You can find us on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast, and you can email us at hello at Let's Hear Cast.com. Let us know if you have any thoughts about what you hear today, including people we should have on the show. And if you like the show, please, please, please rate us on Apple Podcasts so that more people can find us. So let's get on to the show. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Let's Hear It. You're here. We're so glad to have you here. You found us. And Mr. Brown, I'm so glad to have you here today. How are you? I'm very well. And I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. How about yourself? I am so looking forward to Thanksgiving. And as it turns out, I think we've got a lot to be thankful for. (laughs) You know, we might just. (laughs) One of the things that we have to be thankful for is the movie The Antidote, directed by John Hoffman and Kahani Cooperman. And that's what we're going to be. That's what what we're talking about this week. There's so much here. And before we go into the conversation itself, can we just do a shout out to you track this movie down? It's at theantidotemovie.com. You can find them on Twitter. They're at The Antidote Film and on Instagram, The Antidote Movie again. But this is just an amazing conversation, Eric. And um, you can stream it on Amazon Prime Video. I just wanted to say all of that right up front, because if anybody drops off before the end, I want to make sure they know how to get to this, because um, as they describe it, The Antidote isn't about an idea or a policy. It's about what, Eric? What's it about? It's about kindness, Kirk. It's about who we are or maybe who we can be. Totally. And so to, to set the movie up, if you haven't seen it, first of all, you, you know, stop, go watch the movie and then listen to the conversation. If not, if you can wait to listen to the conversation and then watch the movie, this is a documentary film about kindness and caring in America. And John and Kahani went around the country and they focus on nine communities in America in which people are doing things differently. They are just practicing extraordinary acts of kindness. This is if if this isn't the perfect movie to sit with your family over the holidays and watch and remind ourselves about who we can be, then I don't know what is. It what a treat. So this is from Better World Projects from Radical Media. This is Kahani Cooperman, John Hoffman, co-directors of The Antidote on Let's Hear It. Welcome to Let's Hear It. Okay, every time I say it, this is a very special episode of Let's Hear It, this is a very, very special episode of Let's Hear It. My guests today are Kahani Cooperman and John Hoffman, the producers and directors of The Antidote, which is a film that is now out in virtual theaters and coming soon to streaming. And The Antidote is a film about kindness and caring in America because you know what? Maybe it's just about time for a little bit of that. And John and Kahani, just thank you so much for coming on. We have so much to talk about. Thanks. Very happy to be here with you, Eric. I have to do a little bit of uh, full disclosuring. It's not a new word. I just made that up. And that is that I have a relationship with this film, and it is. Be- I don't want to go. We we can't go too far down the rabbit hole. But I ran into John last year, and through a, a mutual colleague. And John and I had 
known each other and had been contact in contact for many many years and i kind of found out that he was producing this film and directing this film and i went to a screening and i said i i just want to get involved and so i became I, I became, uh, I would say, tangentially involved with this film, but um, I am so deeply involved in my soul. And so that's why I'm, uh, that's why it's a super duper special episode of Let's Hear It. So let's just start. I, actually, I would like to start with a little bit about, t- just tell us about what this film is, and then I want to talk to you about yourselves, and then we'll talk more about the film. So, and and since you are co you are producers in you're not co-producers, you're producers and co-directors. I'm sure you will figure out how to answer each question and toss it to each other and make decisions in a flowing and loving way. I, I have no doubt that that you're, you're just going to figure there'll be no overlapping or any of that stuff. So actually, no, I will start with you, Connie, just to get the ball rolling. What is this movie and why does it make me cry so much? Well, first of all, thanks for having both of us. Um, I only you can can know why it makes you cry, but you're not alone. I can tell you that. Um, the Antidote is a feature documentary and it's about kindness, decency and the power of community in America. But I think it's important to note that it was very much made in response to the times we were living in, especially when we started it, which was about two and a half years ago. John and I met for coffee and he had already raised some money and had a one word idea, which was kindness. And uh, at the time I had a pervasive feeling that the, that civility was just crumbling around me. I wanted to understand it. I couldn't understand it. And I thought this was an incredible opportunity to work with another filmmaker and one who I've heard, had heard of, but had never met. And that it was a subject matter that had tons of potential. I didn't know where we would take it, but that's kind of the seed of of where we started from a cup of coffee to an agreement to work together with one word kindness. And then it took off from there. (laughs) And John, it's no surprise to me that you'd make a film about kindness, because I have to say that you're one of the nicest, most wonderful human beings I've ever met. So it doesn't surprise me, but why would you make a movie about it? And what would, what made you think that, uh, that kindness would sell and, you know, 2018 or whenever you started making this movie, it's kind of like being, uh, I don't know, what, selling umbrellas in the Sahara or something. Well, first I have to say, I don't know if it's possible to see blushing on a podcast, but you've made me <laughs> blush, Eric. Um, and Colorized with, podcast. With your, with your very kind words. Um, and I have really treasured our friendship over those many years. And uh, I think I want to take any mystery out of your introduction about your relationship to film. And I think people listening ought to know that you are a co-producer of this film because you worked really hard to help us really secure the crucial funds that we needed to get the film done. You saw it, you understood what the gap was and you just went for it. And we can't thank you enough for what you did to help us finish the film. Well, this just goes to show that any schmo can get a producer credit and I can prove it. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you see all the 99 names of producers like this guy, he went out for coffee, make him a producer. I was touched uh, and delighted, but. So I'll take you back. Let's go back to the question you asked, which was what made me think, uh, you know, that, that uh, there could be a film here. You know, I didn't know 
when I started talking to the funder that really helped us get this off the ground and contributed you know, a considerable amount of money to the project Dignity Health, I, I had a previous relationship with them. They had funded some public health media work that I was doing about six years ago with a, a nonprofit that I started called the Public Good Projects. And they were very generous to help get that initiative off the ground. It's still in existence. Their motto is Hello Human Kindness. And about three years ago, um, three and a half years ago, I was meeting with their CEO, Lloyd Dean. I, like Kahani, was rocked by the increasing divisiveness in the country, this, this crumbling of civility. And in a conversation with Lloyd Dean, I just said, you know, would you ever consider doing a film, funding a documentary about kindness? Your commitment is so authentic. The research that you're funding at Stanford and at Berkeley, you know, it's fascinating. And they said, let's talk about that. And that conversation became very real, very fast. And they gave this remarkable gift to us as filmmakers, which were the resources that we needed to go out there and film and the complete independence, complete and total editorial independence. And Kahani's right, it was one word. There was not a single idea that we pitched them to say, well, this is how we would do it. Are you interested in funding it, this approach? No, they trusted that uh, us as artists uh, with, the, with the freedom that we would, we would do right by them and we would make them proud uh, of their support of this artistic endeavor. And so I say, and, and uh, Kahani's heard me say this a thousand times, you know, we had the, the largest canvas you know, in the world and we had just this one word. And where do you start? Um, how do you even begin to think of making that into a documentary, which is about real people? We wanted to make something with, that captured a view of this country that was very, very different when everyone is looking at the bright, shiny object, which is the people who are really in many cases, fomenting that hate, we wanted to turn the cameras away and look at what are the forces that are sort of binding our communities together, making them good. So we started reading and discussing all day, every day, and speaking with philosophers and economists and political scientists to really dig into compassion and empathy beyond just this one word kindness, but this sort of collection of ways in which we connect to each other as humans. At a certain point, we said, okay, we're gonna put this all away. We've done enough talking to others and we've, you know, let's, let's, let's do an exercise. Let's project into the future. When this film is done, are there questions that we feel that, you know, we should have answered? You know, let's, let's write these questions as an exercise, you know, um, that we would feel that we had really done justice to you know, through the process of making the film. And one afternoon we came up with these six questions, which are, how do we raise our children? How do we teach our children? How do we take care of the sick and the dying? How do we live and work together? How do we welcome the stranger? And how do we lead? And we knew that we wanted to make a film that covered the lifespan and we wanted to make a film that covered the experiences that we, we have as we move through the world. And we felt good that those questions covered everything that we could think of in terms of how we live our lives. Then something pretty bad happened in this country. And I, I'm going to toss it to Kahani um, <laughs> before, to talk about that. Before we get to that, because most of the questions we hear right now is how do we screw the enemy? How do we steal an election? How do we 
the idea that you would have that that sense of of hopefulness is is really amazing. But the other thing is that you know when when Dignity Health and others entrusted you with their months their money to make movies, it wasn't like a couple of pikers that they were hiring because between the two of you, I think you have fifteen Emmys, an Oscar nomination, a bunch of Peabody Awards. You guys have been doing this for quite some time. I want to just go back slightly before we get back into the kind of the next step of talking about this film to just talk about your own filmmaking pasts. I mean, when you make a film about kindness, anybody can give it a shot, but you guys actually know what you're doing. And uh, so, and Connie also, the fact that this is a movie that is so, uh, you know, empathetic compassionate and guileless. I think the fact that you worked on The Daily Show for, uh, what, at least a decade, is an obvious transition, right? From the from that, that loving, gentle, <laughs> naivete that The Daily Show brings every night to our uh, to our culture. How on earth do you go from the, <laughs> to The Daily Show to The Kindness Movie? Well, it was actually The Daily Show that was the detour in my life. I came from documentaries and I started answering phones when I was, you know, in, in school uh, at Maisel's Films, working for Albert Maisel's, a famous documentary filmmaker. And that, you know, just became, that set me on a path towards the kinds of stories I was drawn to, the kinds of s- stories I wanted to do. And I, was making documentaries. And it's because of the documentaries I made that I actually got hired as a day one at The Daily Show as a field producer. Um, they were looking for people to make, you know, these kind of short film-like news pieces um, that tell a story, but feel like a news piece, but weren't a news piece. And somehow they thought my sensibility because my earlier films did have a little edge humorous edge to them would be a good match. So it was a 12 week gig that turned into 18 years, actually. (laughs) Um, I was able to rise up the ladder. I was co-executive producer for eight years. It was the best detour ever. I'm so proud of that show, but it never in my heart took the place of documentary filmmaking and nonfiction storytelling. I just loved it and I did keep that part of those muscles working while I was at The Daily Show. I made one film and completed it while I was there. I started another, which was Joe's Violin, which, you know, ended up doing pretty well. You got an Oscar nomination for that. I did. And that was all, that was started while I was at The Daily Show and with the blessing of, of, you know, my boss, John Stewart. But I will say that, you know, as much as you'd like to think like, you know, there's no natural segue from a place like The Daily Show to a film about kindness. There really is, because we told a lot of stories on that show and we got to the heart of a lot of things. And I actually want to, you know, commend my former boss for really coming at that show. Of course, comedy was king and that was first, but that show was a lot of his heart and we were all you know, working to, to let that come out. And I think that's why people loved it so, so much, you know, when he was hosting and, you know, not to say that people don't still love the show, but um, it was a different era. And so for me, I, I, I knew I was ready to go after that many years. I knew I wanted to go back fully to documentary. Joe's Violin is very much about how a small act of kindness really connects people. And it's not that far of a leap 
to go to a feature length documentary about kindness and about the things, the positive things that we all share. And Joe's, Joe's Violin is about a Holocaust survivor? It's about, yeah, it's about an, uh, a 91 year old man, a Holocaust survivor who acquired a violin in a flea market after the war. It reminded him of his musical youth, the family he lost. As an old man who can't play it anymore, he donates it to a radio station's musical instrument drive, knowing that the musical instruments are going to be distributed to school kids. So it's about the 12 year old girl in the Bronx who gets this violin and the unlikely connection between these two people who were born 80 years apart. Well, you know, we're gonna get to that little, that piece shows up in the antidote. We'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to ask you, John. So John, you are also, uh, I I just, do you bring each other's Emmys over to play with each other? Uh, We've done that, we've only done that twice. Okay, it's like, you could play chess. You could put a full chess board up with your Emmys. So John, you were at HBO documentaries, the great, one of the great documentary production institutions ever on the planet. Uh, working with Sheila, ne- Sheila Nevins, the great, you know, uh, the, a legend. Uh, and then you were executive vice president for documentaries at Discovery. How did you take all of that and roll that up into this movie? Because I would, you know, all these years of, you know, overseeing all these films, you must have just been bursting uh, to kind of take all that and put it all together. Well, you know, I was really fortunate. Uh, I was at HBO for 17 years and at Discovery for three years. So in those 20 years as an executive, I was probably the luckiest executive in show business in that I got to direct films of my own that whole time. I was not only overseeing other people's work, but I was really fortunate that I got to make my own films. And uh, all of my work, going back to the very beginning of my career, the first films that I, the very first film that I made was a film called AIDS Changing the Rules. Um, it was 1987, Ron Reagan Jr., his father was president, Ruben Blades, Beverly Johnson as the hosts. And it was the first nationally broadcast HIV prevention film, PBS. I was a kid, but that started, that, that, that was my orientation. What can I do with this career, what can I do with the power of the media to make people's lives better? In that case, it was to prevent infection. But in the time that I was at HBO, it, I, I really dug into that. And so I got to do, I had the chance to do some significant public health work, a, a very large project with the NIH on addiction and an even bigger one uh, on Alzheimer's, the Alzheimer's project with Maria Shriver. And then I did The Way to the Nation, which was sort of a mega project with the NIH, the CDC, the Institute of Medicine, Kaiser Permanente, Michael and Susan Dell. And you could call all of that work solutions journalism. When I, was, when I went over to Discovery, I continued doing that work. And I did a film called Rancher Farmer Fisherman, which is looking at land and water conservation. And when it was time for me to just really commit myself fully to just being a filmmaker, I then did a film called Out of Many, One, which features Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it's about uh, people seeking their American citizenship. Looking at this change in 2016 in the country and this rise of hate um, and this divisiveness, it was my natural tendency is to look to the solutions, to look at complex problems, but look to how can we solve those problems whether they were public health problems or they're sort of a 
you know, a sort of crisis of identity in, in the country. You know, how can the, you know, the power of documentary film be sort of harnessed to change hearts and minds, hopefully, you know, for the better. And it was just so random that I'm in this meeting with a funder of public health work, and I just blurted it out when I heard about their commitment to kindness. I said, would you be interested in doing a documentary on that? I had no idea whether you could, but I, you know, I just went for it. And I'm really happy that I did. It's been a remarkable experience making this film. That was an excellent segue to take us into the break because we're going to come back and we're going to talk about The Antidote. And uh, I'm really excited about talking about these these stories that it's possible. Um, I have a, a box of hankies, a box of Kleenex nearby just in case because just talking or thinking about this film makes me cry. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it's really, really an amazing, sweet film. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Kahani Cooperman and John Hoffman. You're listening to Let's Hear It, a podcast about foundation and nonprofit communications hosted by Kirk Brown and Eric Brown. Let's Hear It is sponsored by the Communications Network, which connects, gathers, and informs the field of leaders working in communications for good. Because foundations and nonprofits that communicate well are stronger, smarter, and vastly more effective. You can find Let's Hear It online at letshearitcast.com or on Twitter at Let's Hear It Cast. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Hear It. My guests today are John Hoffman and Kahani Cooperman, the directors and the producers of The Antidote, which is a film about kindness and caring in America. You had talked earlier about these six questions that you hoped to to pose and kind of, I guess, express how these questions are addressed. And it sounds like there was a whiteboard involved or perhaps a you know a, a libation or two or something like that. But I, I was thinking about this because I was thinking about how you frame these kinds of conversations in ways that are inclusive as opposed to combative, in that each of these questions are, that you've you've posed are ones that you could ask to anybody, no matter what their religion, no matter what their political persuasion, gender, any of those things. We can all come together and say that we need to find ways to raise our children or to care for the dying or those kinds of things. And it just strikes me as such a wonderful lesson for all of us around messaging, which is that we want to have conversations, especially now we have just finished this absolutely horrifying election with what appears to be good news <laughs> as we sit here we everyone is hopeful that it, it's all going to go go better than it has but uh that that it is a time for us all to come together and i think that the questions that you pose are as good as any to begin to frame the conversation about how do we heal in america was that your idea or did it just come out that way and and how did you explore those questions when you started going around the country and interviewing people and bringing people into your into your film well i want to tee up kahani in the same way that i was um, going to do earlier which was we came up with these questions and we were feeling pretty good about ourselves for many of the reasons that you were describing and we saw them as sort of you know formative in in our thinking and they provided us a, a great sense of direction and the simplicity of them really made them very easy to apply 
when we are looking at work that's happening around the country that might be innovations in education or innovations in healthcare. But it really wasn't that long after we had this sort of mini retreat where you know, this exercise that we didn't expect was going to result in something that was so helpful, and it did turn out to be so helpful, when something happened. And I'm I just going to ask Kahani to talk about that. Wait, I have to interrupt for a second. You know, there's very few movies that have more than one director. How did it? How did that go? And then I'm sorry. Then Kahani, you should definitely answer. John, did you? I interrupted, but I just couldn't help myself. How do you co-direct a movie? It was great. You know, we kind of set our parameters of how we were going to work together out of the gate, which I think is really important for any relationship. It's like. I remember reading a Milan Kundera book a million years ago, and there's something about this, this unsaid contract that you sign at the beginning of a relationship. And he was talking about romantic relationships, which this one isn't, but it's a working relationship. And it was every day and it was a big deal. And we had a lot of responsibility together to create this. And I think the fact that, you know, John and I had a talk at the beginning about how this was gonna work and essentially said out loud, our voices are equal. And that's how we're moving forward. And I think like the honesty thing really helped because I knew when he didn't like my ideas, he knew when I didn't like his ideas, we supported each other, you know, through the challenges of making this. And, and also, you know, we had also a, a team of wonderful people working with too. So, and sometimes it's hard for them to hear from two people. Um, you know, an editor getting notes from two different directors who aren't the same filmmaker. We're not, we don't have all the same sensibilities, but I think, you know, you have to go with your gut sometime. And, and I think our gut was there could be something complimentary here. And I think the result is that is the film that you're reacting so wonderfully and powerfully to. I knew I didn't want to make this film alone. Uh -huh. I knew that it would be a better film if I had a partner. I knew that I'm a better person when I have a creative partner because there are certain, and not every project, but there are certain projects where the ambition, it would be so arrogant for me to think that I could possibly capture or navigate the sort of murky waters of what I knew was going to be, you know, we would go through in making up this film. I, I, just, I just knew that it was beyond my ability to do this alone. And um, so I was seeking that partner. I was actively seeking, I talked to many people. Um, truly, I talked to a lot of people. And then it was, you know, coffee and it was like, we got married two days later. So. <laughs> That's great. So let's get back on track, Connie, after I rudely am a terrible, I'm a terrible interviewer. Um, I couldn't help myself though. T so tell me this, this moment of, of truth that occurred. Well, we had these questions and I just, you know, to bring us back to that, I think you're right. I think one of the reasons they're so powerful is because they touch on things that are universally experienced by people, pretty much no matter who you are. And so that really helped us. And um, they were guiding us. Um, they did give us direction, as John said, but we're in the middle of sort of starting to now research stories and um, Charlottesville happened. And that moment was a real moment of reckoning for many people, for certainly John and myself in the time, not to say that we were unaware of, of uh, dark, dark forces, they've always been there, but somehow this was so blatant that it shook, it shook our foundation. And we, we just realized then and there that 
would not be presenting a complete portrait if we only focused on those questions. We needed to combine those questions with what we identified as fundamental unkindnesses. The fact is, is that the large portion of Americans, one way or another, face these unkindnesses every day as part of their life. And so we, had, we you know, got back in the room and started thinking like, what are these unkindnesses? And, and we identified them kind of how we identified these questions, which it's fundamentally unkind to not have a safe place to sleep. It's fundamentally unkind to not have access to healthcare, fundamentally unkind to not earn a living wage, racism, sexism, homophobia are all fundamentally unkind. And it was in combination with the questions and those fundamental unkindnesses that became the, the real criteria and the lens through which we evaluated every rabbit hole and every possible story that could combine together to make the, the sauce that is this film. It was crucial to acknowledge the unkindnesses because that is what triggered the kindness, the intentional kindness. And that's something I think that's important to talk about. If you look at every single story, you can see that the organization, the institution, the college, the, the housing complex, whatever it is, it is, it was selected because it is working to help people overcome the forces of that unkindness. And can you take us through these stories? One of the first stories in the film is set in Anchorage, Alaska. And it is a portrait of a refugee resettlement agency that primarily now is working resettling refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo, who have been many years in refugee camps in Rwanda. And we felt that this is an example of how do you welcome the stranger? And if ever uh, there was an example of that, it's refugee resettlement. And when we learned that the family that has, that there's a family in Anchorage, good portion of it has been there for, been there for five years. And their 103 year old grandmother um, will be coming in the period that we're making this film with her 65 year old deaf mute daughter out of Rwanda. It was an opportunity that you know, we, we couldn't believe was, it would be in front of us. And so that's the first story that, that people see. And then we go to Amarillo, Texas. And I think, Kahani, you do a great job. And I think you should talk about what happens in Amarillo. Sure. And um, I also just, I will do that. I also just want to point out, you said that um, Alaska was a great example of how do we welcome the stranger, but we weren't looking for a one-to-one -one correlation with any of our stories, because really, if you look at them, including the Alaska story, it answers a lot of the questions, including how do we lead and how do we teach our children, even though it's not in the classroom, it's like, how do we model for them? You know, all of our stories answer many of the different questions in different ways. So another place we went was Amarillo, Texas, where there is a community college, Amarillo College. And it's a remarkable place, I think, because the president, Russell Lowry Hart, asked himself the question, why are so many of our students who are primarily first-generation college students failing? they're not graduating. And he wanted to figure out why. And so he started out by literally talking to students and he walks around campus and we film this, he walks around campus offering free lunch. So they talked to him. And what he found out was that it wasn't academic barriers at all. It was all life barriers. And this was a mind blower for him. 
he had a revelation that it wasn't, he's always thought it was everyone else's responsibility to take care of those kinds of things, transportation, rent, childcare. But he realizes that it's Amarillo College's responsibility. And so he harnesses the power of the college and the Amarillo community together to lift up these students and provide them with what they need to get that education so that they can take the next step, get the living wage job or go into the four-year program. And it changes people's lives because he developed this culture of caring and he won't take credit for it. And it does come from a, a school of thought in the education world, but he has empowered social workers on campus to work in the most really fundamental, amazing ways with students. And he's, uh, he's made it very, very dignified for them to ask for help. And so in the film, you see the results of that. That one, by the way, uh, gets me every single time I've seen this movie a bunch of times. And I cry like a bit. I'm a community college <laughs> uh, transfer student. I had, I was, community college saved my life. And Richard Kazarian, if you're out there right now, I thank you. <laughs> I told you, I told you I would get emotional talking about this movie, but it has mm. just touched every part of my soul. Uh, and that, that was a perfect example of, of how you can turn somebody's life around through basic acts of kindness and caring. Uh, okay, let's just keep going. Let's throw a few more out there while we have a few more minutes left. Because we're trying to create really a portrait of the country and we use drone shots to fly around and we want to give the sense of dropping in on communities, which is what we do. One of the places we drop in is Modesto, California, which is in the Bible Belt of California, which I didn't know had a Bible Belt until this film. And in the public high school there is the country's only school district, that public school district that requires a world religions class for graduation from high school. And this world religions class taught by this incredibly dynamic, amazing teacher named Sherry McIntyre. It's taught to ninth graders and not every kid wants to take it, but the thought behind this, and it's incredibly well thought out, is that if we can teach children at this age to understand other cultures and religions that we can find right in our own community better, they will grow up to be hopefully more respectful adults. And the school district did their incredible homework in establishing the curricula. They worked with the First Amendment Center. They talked to every faith leader in the community and they got buy-in and they've been teaching it for 20 years. And so we're able to follow the course and you can see uh, the effect that it has on the students and how it gets them to change the way they view people. So that's another one. I guess uh, I'll ping pong over to John. Sure, I'm gonna talk about Diamon Hargis and uh, mm. Biker Girls and Biker Boys Club. So Diamon is in Indianapolis. He is someone whose title on his business card is the roving listener. <laughs> he started his work at Broadway Methodist Church in Indianapolis as a community organizer. And he realized when he was going door to door to identify the needs in the community, that he was having doors essentially closed on him because people were not opening up by what do you need? People were not inclined. And then he was invited in one day by an elderly woman who offered him a piece of pie. And he said, this is the most amazing pie. Can you sell these pies? And she said, absolutely. And he then went on another visit and 
he saw a beautiful vegetable garden in the backyard of another woman in the neighborhood. And he said, would you be willing to help some kids in the neighborhood if they would help you in their garden? She said, absolutely. And he realized that he had to invert his work to identify what he calls the gifts and talents of everyone in his community. And by identifying people's gifts and talents and you nurture those, that's how you transform communities and you create opportunity for people and you bring your community and you knit your community together. And so the Biker Boys and Biker Girls Shop is a bicycle repair and used bicycle shop in a garage in his neighborhood that is staffed by kids from all over the neighborhood. And it's an amazing place to be. Diamon is a Pied Piper. He is the roving listener. And he is someone who at every turn is looking for how he can lift the kids and the adults up in his, in his neighborhood and work with the, whether it's the police force or any other institutions, foundations in that community to not fix the community. That's not his, his point is that he's not there to fix things. He's there, as I say, to identify people's gifts and talents and let them soar with those talents. It just was a, it was a fantastic experience to be with him. And I hope that the film captures that and that people feel that they got this chance to be with those kids and to be with Diamond. Well, it's in just a couple of minutes that we have left, this just reminds me of what the power of film is, but also what the power of this film is at this moment. And I know that you have been working with foundations and nonprofits in communities across the country to help have these conversations in those contexts about using this film as a way to inspire us, I think, about how well we can engage with each other uh, in a new way. And especially now, as folks are kind of doom scrolling the news right now and worrying about a constitutional crisis and, and, and fearing for, for who we are, this movie reminds us who we actually can be and are. And so uh, one, one thing that you've been doing is you've been talking, kind of hosting these little conversations with uh, groups around the country. And at the risk of um, adding to your workload, I suspect that if our funder colleagues out there or nonprofit colleagues out there would like to host a screening of this film and talk with you about it or in any other way allow you to support them in their own regional work, that <laughs> I guess you'd be, you'd be open to that. Is that, uh, is that a, a, a fair thing to say? Hell yes. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So- this, this film was made, not anticipating a COVID world, it was made to be screened and experienced in community. However you want to define that community, whether it, it is the town you live in, it is a community of nurses, whether it's community of educators, whether it's community of school children, it, was, it, it is meant to be viewed in community. And so I just have to shout out to the Hewlett Foundation, to the Einhorn Collaborative, the Andrew Niku Foundation, and to Dignity Health for their incredible generosity in enabling this community work to go on. We have a robust program of social impact screenings. We want the film to be used. Uh, We want school systems to make it, you know, required viewing for everyone of all ages. So yes, anyone listening, we would love to work with you. Well, I I really thank you so much for what you have done. Uh, It really... uh... I get it. I get gushy again. It's it's a, a privilege to to have been able to 
be a part of this in, in my own small way. And I'm just so excited about what this film is and what it can do. And I hope it inspires people out there. If you are, if you're feeling bad, if you think that the world sucks, go to theantidotemovie.com, uh, which will lead you to your virtual screening, and it will be streaming soon. I don't know if you can say what the... Amazon Prime, starting November 20th. Hey, how how fabulous is that? You can go to Amazon Prime, starting November 20th, to see the film. I just go do it. It will make you happy. Somebody said, uh, told me that they were going on a date, or they were going to have some... They were having a date, and I said, just watch this movie, and then you'll know if this is the right person, because you'll see how they react to the movie. <laughs> If they scowl and frown, this is not your guy. Uh, if they cry like a baby, you know, you should have a second date. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, she's going to do that. She's like, I can't wait to see the movie. Can I add one thing? Yes, please. This is your show, not mine. I feel like, because we talked about a few of the stories, and there are nine stories. There's plenty right. of other incredible stories in this. But kind of like a community, we see these in this film as the sum is greater than the parts. And if the parts is each story, it's really the way they work together that we hope is the power of this film, the community of this film. So I think that it's wonderful to talk about each individual story, but I also think that there's hopefully a power and the cumulative effect and the chorus that they create together that really, really cement the message of this film and everyone's response to it. I totally agree. It is a movie that makes you feel good about people and it makes you, gives you hope. And it, it reminds you that there is plenty of kindness out there. And it's a, I, I feel kind of inspired and challenged at the same time to, to exhibit that and express it. Uh, I am so grateful to the both of you, John Hoffman and Kahani Kuberman. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making this great movie. Everybody out there, I, I urge you, I urge you to see it. And uh, I, we could have gone on for hours more. Maybe we will one of these days as we talk about what your, what your next thing is or what we learned after this journey. Thank you, Eric. Our pleasure. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thank you. And we're back. Mr. Brown, there was a touch of emotion in that conversation. <laughs> I knew I was going to get choked up. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, and I did. There's nothing... Every time I watch this movie, I cry like a baby from basically from the beginning to the end. Uh, like you say, you need a box of Kleenex and about a quart of Gatorade to re replenish all the salts and electrolytes you lose from the crying. <laughs> well, and at the very end, you introduced the notion, this might actually be a pretty good date film. This might be a good uh, sorter and filter, if exactly. you will, a selector. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. Like, forget it. You're done. <laughs> yeah, it's just out of here. <laughs> So Kahani and John, so first of all, I love this origin story. John has a napkin, a piece of paper with one word on it, kindness. Yeah. And that's like, it reminds me of a famous time we, we gathered in San Francisco and I slipped a piece of paper across to you that had one word on it, podcast. And there it was. We moved on from there. And, and how divergent the outcomes for these two great <laughs> napkins. Well, talk about <laughs> greatness, by the way. I did a little research. So Kahani, she's received 11 Emmys and three Peabody Awards. John has 66 producer credits on IMDb and has four Emmys in his own right, 16 nominations. 
So you couldn't have two better stewards for that vision. And again, when they write about it, they say, um, it's not about an idea or policy, but it's how we treat each other. It's about who we are or maybe who we can be. And it's just struck me, yes, this is so necessary in this time that we're in, but it also occurred to me, I'm like, to what degree is kindness the background story of all of our lives in a way? You know, when you think about the opportunities you've had, the things, the times you've been able to do this or that, and then you reflect it on your own experience of that. It, it is, it's really emotional when you think about your life in that context, I feel like. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It is also, for me anyway, the blueprint for how to move forward in America. We are coming out of this horrific, yeah, <laughs> raise your hand if you enjoyed 2020, people. <laughs> I didn't think so. We're, I mean, we're coming out of this really dark, difficult period in which we are going to try and, and build a new America. And that has to be built on kindness and caring and not on whatever, revenge, retribution. Let's, you know, let's screw those people who screwed us over. That's just not going to get us where we need to go. And if you need to build communities across differences, because these, you know, we, we live in a, a society that's kind of riven right now and we have to build bridges across differences. And we've been talking about this for 49 episodes, Kirk, about mm-hmm. yeah. about belonging and about how do you bridge and all those yeah. other things. And this movie, I think, is a, a really, really good example. It's not the only example, but it's a great example about how do you build a community. And it actually kind of made me wonder, you know, we have these dual horrifying traumas we've been going through, one in the national political dialogue and the other in this more recent public health, you know, crisis, which, of course, we're very much in the throes of and, you know, have personal friends and colleagues that have severe suffered, you know, really severe losses in in, in light of all this. And I was thinking, and then here's John Kahani working on this project, toiling away, you know, with this over the last couple of years. And I'm wondering, are we reaching a point where we're just going to have this outpouring of creativity that flows now as we hopefully turn the page on these two horrible, horrible situations we've been in? Well, and know, I would, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I would, I would also add in the uh, new understanding about the need to finally challenge the question of race in America. So mm. I'd, I'd, I'd yes. ask third, but yeah. I, I do think that this is a, a a way to think about how to how to do that, and I mean these films never you know there's no narrator, and there's nobody saying tying things up into a nice little bow. They are just presenting these stories and letting the audience make its own you know learn from it. The other thing is this is interesting. I hadn't noticed it the first time I I, I saw it, but none of the people in the film are are noted by name. It, it, mm. they, they really didn't want this to be about the protagonists, the people who mm. came in and did the thing. They really wanted it to be about these these people in the context of a larger community or a larger organization or a larger set of activities. So they, they tried not to turn any of these folks into rock stars because that wasn't the point. And I think that's a, that's a very interesting thing, thing to think about because – even though we live in a cult of personality, sometimes the personality is the thing that gets in our way. And they, they tried to they tried not to focus on that to the extent possible. Obviously, there are people in this film who are true heroes, 
but he they don't get called out by name. Well, and where didn't they go? They went to Indianapolis, Amarillo, Boston, Anchorage. I mean, you know, Sullivan County, New York, (laughs) Modesto, Decatur. Modesto, California has the only required religions course for high school students in America. (laughs) Modesto. And that woman's been teaching that class for 20 years. I mean, that's kind of cool. And... You know, there's just so much to learn from these folks and so many reasons to be inspired. And, you know, this holiday season, I I really hope that folks will sit around, you know, within their family unit, watch this film, remind ourselves of of what's good about us and remind ourselves that in order to move forward, we're going to have to work together. Well, you know, you had a funny exchange during the interview um, about all these stories are facts. This is a documentary. These are true <laughs> stories. And and I I feel like you're on our theater and creative arts corner for the podcast. Oh, like, like you're firmly camped out of that corner. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you you bring creative. the creative genius. I am a key guest. What do you think about documentary work versus I mean cuz you could have you could have created nine fictitious stories too, right? You know. And but yet the fact that this is captured from all of these I want to say fairly unlikely. I mean the Modesto example is a great one, but yeah. all of these um all of the stories they pull forward in here, I think, are just so unlikely and so interesting, you know, in their own right. Um, but what do you think about documentary work as opposed to any other way to capture these stories? What do you think about that as, a, as an approach? I think one of the notable parts of this film is that those the folks who are the pro- protagonists are, are regular people. There are <laughs> lots of them out there. They are not, you know, it's not like... I remember Stand and Deliver, one of those things where you have this teacher who's superhuman who comes in and turns around the school. And thanks to this person of, of whom there are only one or two on, on, on the face of the planet, they, they solve this little problem. Instead, what they're trying to remind us is that these are normal people. They're, and they're out there. I mean, they're certainly working. Uh, they're the first responders in the you know working in the fires in California. They're the folks who are working in uh, almost every emergency room in America, they are the ones who are out there doing these things. And that's, I I think that is as much uh, something that documentary film does so well, is that these are not movie stars playing a role. And when you see them, you don't go, oh my God, I loved you and whatever in in, uh, the Hunger Games. Uh, You know, now you're playing this uh, person, you know, in Anchorage. So no, no, no. These are people we've never seen before, but we know them. And I think that's where the power of documentary film is, you know, that's where it lives. Uh, but, you know, obviously scripted film can can make a huge difference. There are all sorts of movies that have come out that have that have changed policies and things like that. I mean, think of uh, Aaron Brogovich. There was, you know, mm-hmm. those those sorts sure. of things. I am attracted to I love documentary film. And part of the reason is because they tell kind of regular stories about regular people. Well, and the regular stories end up writing themselves so much more compellingly. I love the biker boys and girls mm-hmm. bike shop. <laughs> you know, I mean, from That's Indianapolis. So cool. I mean, it, 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 whatever creative genius walked into the room and you know came up with that idea, there, there's an Oscar there. So, so I think there's a little smackdown going within the podcast with this conversation here. Oh, good, because because we have had this discussion before. Where which one? I think one of us, and probably me, I Riley commented. We've had a lot of people on this podcast talking about these themes of you know, compassion and bridging and just, you know, creating a better good. And I've said to you, 
you know, I can't imagine walking into one of our big strategic foundations and saying, Hey, well, I have an initiative oriented around love. Right. <laughs> and, and, and here I see some that names that, that we have deep, we have deep respect for some of these names, all these names, right? Yes. Hewlett Foundation, Dignity Health, the Andrew Nikau Foundation? Niku. Niku Foundation, Ihorn Collaborative, Deerbrook Charitable Trust. So how do you walk to a major foundation and say, hey, I want to do kindness? So clearly <laughs> that sensibility is there. Clearly yeah. that sensibility is in philanthropy saying, hey, yeah, you're right. Let's do this. What, t- tell me about that. Uh, you know how it goes uh, between... John and and Kahani and a number of other really fabulous people. Ruth Wooden is another one who um, who helped just kind of go around and see who are the people who who might respond to this. Um, uh, Jennifer, who's Rothberg of uh, of the Einhorn Collaborative. Now, my my Einhorn thing was um, her boss, David Einhorn, almost bought the New York Mets once. <laughs> and it, he didn't. And I feel sad because if we had ended up in this same place and he was the owner of the Mets, then that would be the greatest <laughs> thing on earth. So I feel sad. But anyway, uh, mm. so there are folks out there and, and you, you just call the people who you think might respond to this. I mean, Dig- Dignity Health, which is the lead funder, they, they, you know, they bought this film on a one word on a cocktail napkin Man. because there's extra extra special but these other funders i mean that's just fabulous it's just fabulous that they were willing to do it and and what a gift that they have presented to all of us and you know they did it because there's no i'm sure there's no uh strategy for the outcomes of this film that you can measure and all that it some sometimes philanthropy is just a leap of faith and yet they are doing community screenings of course now virtually not physically right you know but they do have a whole rollout strategy and if you want to pursue that, it sounds like they'd be very open, you know, possibly to hearing from folks, right, about that yeah. that concept. And um, and again, you find them at you know theantidotemovie.com and the antidote film on Twitter. But it's also isn't it a credit? I mean, to John and Kahani, that shared vision, that willingness to stick their very substantial creative genius, you know, at, attach it to something like this and say, hey, we're going to make it happen. It's really it's amazing what to just terrifically brilliant people can pull together, is it? I mean, like uh, from both initial concept through to execution. Oh my gosh, are you kidding amazing. me? It's <laughs> amazing. I mean, two years of their lives uh, dedicated to this, yeah. and now it's out. It's out on Amazon. You can watch it, and you should. And uh, you know what a pl- privilege it, it is to know these folks and to, in in some small way, be associated with the film. I, I just, you know, this is a. If this ends up on my IMDb, it's going to uh, overshadow some of the other earlier credits. Is all I can say. Definitely starstruck, and I want to put two more words out there. Go sequel franchise. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> it's going to be you know action figures. That's right. We kind need the action figures. We need more of it. Well, what a treat! So John Hoffman, Kahani Cooperman, The Antidote on Amazon Prime Video. Please track it down. Please watch it. And Eric, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you for bringing that to Let's Hear It. Well, that was really fun. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. And that's it for this episode. Please let us know if you have any thoughts about what you heard today or people we should have on the show. And that includes yourself. 
we'd like to thank Maggie Brown, our intrepid production coordinator. John Ali, the tuneful and inspiring composer of our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, the Communications Network, the Lumina Foundation, and the Heinz Endowments. Thank you, thank you. And check out the Heinz Endowment, their terrific podcast, We Can Be. That's hosted by Grant Oliphant, and you can find it at heinz.org slash podcast. We would certainly like to thank today's guest, and of course, all of you, and thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> no, no, thank you, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Till next time. Let's hear it.